Hey, Sarah. Hey, what? I want to watch romantic comedy. Sometimes when you win, you really lose. And sometimes when you lose, you really win. And sometimes when you win or lose, you actually tie. And sometimes when you tie, you actually win or lose. Winning or losing is all one organic mechanism from which one extracts what one needs. Hello there. Hello. <laughs> I'm here with Sarah. Here I am, and I'm here with Justin. And we are romanticcomedycommentary.com or romcomcom.com. And this week, we are doing a listener request of sorts. Is it? Well, yeah, Mike, Mike, a uh, friend of the show, sent us a text and said, hey, you guys should do White Men Can't Get Jump. jump. Hmm. And I know initially, I thought, well, that's... That's not a romantic comedy at all. Yeah. But you were going to be on Jeopardy. Jeopardy. And so it was a great excuse to talk about Jeopardy on here. That's true. And I've got to tell you, Sarah, I think we have a possible romantic comedy on our hands here. Hmm. I think the argument can be made. Perhaps. So I think we're going to have some fun with that. But also getting into you being on Jeopardy. It's true. But before we dive into that, do you want to summarize the plot? Of White Men Can't Jump for anyone that hasn't seen it? Yes. It was a 1992 movie by Ron Shelton starring Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, although Woody Harrelson has more of the storyline revolve around him, uh, and Rosie Perez. They are in a relationship. He is, uh, what the heck is it called? A hustler. He's a basketball hustler. And he hustles Wesley Snipes on the courts in Venice Beach. And then they decide to team up and start hustling because he owes these Italian brothers seven grand because Rosie Perez got in debt to them. And then in order to get out of debt, he was going to throw a game and then he couldn't throw it and got in extra worse debt. So he's trying to make that money up by hustling basketball. Meanwhile, Wesley Snipes is married and has a son and his wife desperately wants to get out of these crappy apartments and into a nicer house. And he's working like three jobs plus hustling. And it's very 1992 out there. Lots of yo mama jokes and basketball and crazy outfits. And Rosie Perez is studying to be on Jeopardy. And... When Woody Harrelson gets farther into this hustling scheme, he gets hustled by Wesley Snipes and his friends. Rosie forces him to go confront them. They come into Wesley Snipes' house and decide they're going to work through some arrangement and they join this tournament of some kind. Meanwhile, the one guy is a security guard on Sony's lot, so he somehow gets her... On to Jeopardy? That's the most confusing part of all of this. And and then suddenly she's on Jeopardy and she's been studying like all day and all night. Like she doesn't have a job and he doesn't seem to have a job beyond hustling, playing basketball. <laughs> and they end up winning that three on three tournament. But then he blows all the money betting Wesley Snipes that he can dunk and he can't dunk. And then she leaves him because he's a fucking idiot 
and goes on Jeopardy, which I don't think she knows that he set up for her. But she does really well, gets a ton of money. They end up in a nice hotel. He, she gives him two grand to buy clothes to get a job. He decides to blow it to play more basketball with Leslie Snipes. And she says, that's it, I'm done. And walks away from him. And he's like, oh, she's done this a million times. But apparently this time she really does walk away from him. And he, how does it end? He walks, he, he, just he does. Walks, he just walks away with Leslie Snipes, like cracking wise. But they do, do they play basketball or what do they do with that two grand? I think he just won money. He didn't lose. I don't think he lost that money. They just, they beat the, they beat the guys that were famous basketball players. They did play. beat yeah. them. That's right. The, well, they took the two grand, then they entered this other yeah. tournament with these two famous hustlers. Yeah. And they did at the at final scene. That's right. In the final scene, they did end up beating these guys. Mm-hmm. And then they walked away with the money and he's like, I don't think she's coming back. And he's like, I don't either. And then it ends. Well, he, gave, he did give him some advice at that point about you needing need to, to listen, listen basically. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to blow your mind real quick, Sarah. Okay. March 27th, 1992. Yeah, I knew it was in March. Chicago Tribune, Gene Siskel. Oh. Our flick of the week is White Men Can't Jump, a fresh and exuberant romantic comedy oh really that is as smart Fistle. about playground basketball as bull durham was about minor league baseball so gene siskel calls this a, a romantic, romantic comedy. comedy so i just huh. want to say you were looking at me skeptically when i said the argument could be made mm-hmm. I, I mean gene Fistle. siskel here come on well which is the one with the big mustache that's uh gene shallot is it shallot yeah oh my god i would mm-hmm. love to meet gene shallot <laughs> i don't think he's alive <laughs> no don't... i mean he was old in like when we were kids no 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 don't do this to me <laughs> gene shallot what? born march 25th 1926 Oof. 94 years old still alive. still alive still alive 94 94 I wonder if he still has that big moustache. He's the Samuel Langhorn Clemens of the uh, this generation. I'm trying to look. I can't. I can't find Gene. For Shallot's. those of you who don't know, that's Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, I knew that. I knew that. Okay, oh, I did. I did. I did. Uh, I can't find his review of White Men Can't Jump. I was really excited because oh. you can hear Gene Shallot. You you hear his photo. Mm-hmm. You can hear it. And I then, love him. Oh, I love him too. <laughs> I remember being like, what is, what's up with this guy, mom? She's like, that's just how he is. Like, oh, okay. I heard a story, uh, I forget even where, but someone working in a movie theater in New York saw him leaving the theater and was just like, hey, Gene, what'd you think of the movie? And as he was leaving out the door, he just went, it has Oscar written all over it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's what Gene Shallot says, leaving a room. (laughs) Why wouldn't he have his own private screening? Well, I mean, Gene Shalit's a reviewer of the people. He's a man of the streets. I still bet at 94, he's still going to a normal AMC. Or, I well, disagree. He, like a nor- you think he's only doing in-house showings? Mm-hmm. See, I think he'd be... I don't a, think he's leaving his house. Oh, really? See, I think he'd be a cinephile till he dies. The entire oh. experience of being in a movie theater. Mm. I think this is where you and I differ, too. And this happened when we watched... Uh, when we went and watched Last Christmas in the theater and we went to the very plush movie theater, the theater. and you really, really enjoyed it. And I felt weird because I need like my kind of somewhat shitty theater experience, not mm. shitty, but like I need my little seat. I know what a theater seat feels like. Mm. I know what it smells like. 
my feet have to have that very light kind of stick to the floor. <laughs> you know, like if I need to make a very quick lateral movement, I'm not worried about grip. Yeah. Yeah. Friction. That's a, that's a theater to me. I, I think, don't think he has a choice. I think he's probably homebound. You don't, I could see Gene Chalet being a healthy 94. I hope so. I just don't know. I hope he is. God bless you, Gene Shalit. Man, there are some wild photos of this dude, including a really creepy photo of someone going as Gene Shalit for Halloween. Okay. Aww, white that's men a good idea. It is. That would be a good one. Okay. White men can't jump. Okay. Had you seen this before? Uh, I have seen the first, like, I don't think I've ever gotten beyond the first half an hour. Because you were like... Always young. Okay, I thought like you didn't abandon it due to dislike. I can't remember. <laughs> Some time in the past, and I don't have really any memory. And I don't think I saw the first five minutes of it before. That was all new. So do you so, always just catch it on TV? Then you think? I don't know. It's like a foggy memory of being younger. I don't know. I think my dad was watching it at some point, and I was like in and out. Yeah, that would be a tough movie to watch with a kid. Yeah. Because Rosie Perez's boobs are all over this thing. Not in the first half hour, but after that. Not in the first half yes. hour, but after... The, <laughs> well, we don't see Rosie Perez until minute 20. I checked. Oh, there you go. It is, it is all Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. And then a lot of boobs. And then, like, every time she's on screen, it is, mm -hmm. like, wildly boobular. Yeah. Young I, boobs. I love comedic Wesley Snipes so yeah. fucking much. Yeah. And, and the way he does his trash talking in this, have you, you've seen Tu Wong Fu, right? Yes. I, I watched it a handful of months ago. I forgot Just, he was in that. Yeah. He's yeah. Noxima, uh, Noxima something. Right. He, uh, his delivery of trash talking in White Men Can't Jump this is the same. pretty much the dead same cadence <laughs> that he did for him. Noxima. I know it is him, but when you, Being himself. but when he's going like, oh, it's pretty, it's so, so pretty. Oh yeah. That's like, that's you, even true. the, the gestures and things. Yeah, yeah. It's a very Noxima. I was wondering why that seemed familiar. Yeah. Well, it all makes sense now. And, but that's the thing about Wesley Snipes. You forget how good he is at comedy because like Blade is what a lot of people think of him. Yeah, as like an intimidating. Serious. Or Murder at 1600. Or Murder at 1600. It's a freaking great movie. Well, but like he's in, he's Action obviously star. in this. He's in Tu Wong Fu. Yeah. He's in Major League One and Two. Yeah. And then recently he was in uh, My Name is Dolomite. And oh, yeah. You haven't seen that? I haven't seen it. Oh my gosh. Eddie Murphy's good in it. Wesley mm -hmm. Snipes comes out the gate and you're just like, I mm. forgot how good you were at comedy. Mm. Love Wesley Snipes. Um, he was in Major League with Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen was offered the role of Billy Hoyle first. No. Yeah. And he said, I don't have any connection to basketball. It's not going to be enjoyable for me because I don't, I didn't really love basketball or play all that much. But I guess he played well enough to be cast. Wait, do you think, did Woody Harrelson actually do the basketballing? Oh, yeah. Really? He played in college. No. Yeah, he's much better than Wesley Snipes. Are you kidding me? They had to give, I mean, they both practiced tons. They said they were on the court six hours a day, six days a week. And, but he was significantly better than Wesley Snipes. <laughs> My mind is blown. I just assumed they were like body double guys. No, those are them. Oh my God. Those are they. Yeah. So Woody Harrelson could probably go out and hustle. Yeah. Because I mean, I, they said that by the, the time they were done training, they could both start on a Division three and NCAA team, <laughs> which I think is really funny. Because 
Yours you doesn't sound Woody, that great. You look at Woody Harrelson, and I guess that's the point of this movie is him hustling. You don't even think, aside from being like white guy basketball, right. just he doesn't look like an athletic type. Hmm. To me, he doesn't really? in this movie, yeah. I guess. I guess when he pops that shirt off, he's shredded. But yeah. Like he's wearing oh young Woody Harrelson. How great were all the clothes in this movie? Oh man, his dolphins—the shirt that just had three dolphins on the front—so <laughs> good. And Wesley oh. Snipes was always wearing a little bicycle cap. Mm-hmm. Was that what that With was? The thing like the turned little... up. Yeah. The the visor turned up. I think so. I don't know. Or he always had two tank tops too, which yeah. I don't get, but I really like. <laughs> it's a good look. Or even he had the shoes. I used the... to do that. Wear two tank tops. I don't know why. And then as far as Wesley Snipes of this too, it's not just his, it's pretty. It's so, so pretty. This movie is full of so many good trash talking quotes and just quotables. His one yeah. buddy going, we go with Sizzler. We go <laughs> I know with he Sizzler. wants to go to Sizzler so bad. He wants to go to Sizzler worse than anything oh, in his entire Sizzler, life. Sizzler doesn't exist anymore, does it? Uh, not here, but I Maybe it think does it, in LA. I think it does somewhere else. Just like else. Gene's shallot that one and then i also liked his oh it's so so pretty you said that three times did i say that already that's how much i love it uh no sizzler Uh, does appear to still exist it is headquartered in mission viejo california oh there you go so that would explain still there founded in culver city california home of sony pictures jeopardy jeopardy and also one of my favorite npr shows npr west well, yeah, but with Kai, Kai Rizdow does the marketplace. Oh, marketplace. Yeah, and I love is, that. I thought he was out of San Francisco. No. He's in Culver City? Because the only reason I know that is when I was in Culver City, I heard NPR, and he said, we're Culver here uh, City, from Culver California. City, California, and I, and well, I looked, and I, I drove past the building. I drove past the building, too. I drove too. past the building, too. Yeah. It's wanted, just a little building. It really is. All of them are. Yeah. When you were there, did you go past the Muppet building? No. The, it's, um, oh God, whose is it? it? It's someone's old, um, oh God, help me out here. Who is the guy with the, the hat and the little mustache? I need more. Charlie Chaplin. It's the the Jim Henson's, uh, the G- Henson Company's thing is in Charlie Chaplin's old production facility, I believe. Oh. And it's just this little tiny, un- unremarkable building. Unremarkable, other than hmm. a giant thing of Kermit dressed as Charlie Chaplin. Oh. I have driven past it in my life maybe like seven or eight times, and each time almost broken hysteric tears huh someone how uh, many times have you been to los angeles (laughs) i not a lot but i've driven past that building a lot (laughs) and he's back he's back again they don't do tours of it i looked into it Uh, but someone i know that man keeps (laughs) driving around our building (laughs) someone i know laughing hysterically and then crying they interviewed there and they said they had in a glass case like kermit when you walked in and she was like when I went into the interview, I had to walk past these things oh, and I had to, and I had to say to the lady, like, I'm going to need a minute. And the lady was just like, yeah, no, that happens all the time. Oh, we understand. I'd love to, yeah. This isn't about Muppets. This is about white men can't jump though, Sarah. About Culver City. In Culver City. The, they filmed the indoor scenes of this in Culver City. Did they? Mm-hmm. And that they did surprising. a lot of their practice there. Well, then if they did, Venice Beach was Venice prominently featured in this. Yeah, which is not far from Ven- from good god from Culver City. Have you, did you go to Venice Beach at all? No, that's the one thing we had to choose. Mm-hmm. And we went to the La Brea Tar Pits instead. Do you know that stands for the the Tar Tar Pits? La Brea, yeah, means tar. Or yeah, La Brea Tar Pits. The tar the Tar Tar Pits. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
Tar tar pits. It's like go to the ATM machine. The no the La Brea tar pits. The the tar tar pits. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Yeah. Good. You got it. I have been to Venice Beach. It was just as weird as opening. Oh my god. Yeah. I was walking down, and there was someone doing. Uh, what I could only describe as sunlight art. They were using a magnifying lens, lens to burn wood. Oh. Mind you, they were high as a fucking kite while doing mm. this. It was two of them, and they looked like they had not slept in a while. How and was they were it? not bought. I mean, not good enough to buy, but enough that I was surprised <laughs> by the quality. You're of pretty it. high, and this is actually going well. Yeah, I mean, it, it did burn. It wasn't just like a burned globule. Like, he wasn't sitting there with a single point. He wasn't trying to start a fire. He was right. consciously creating art. Huh. And then there were also just like tweaky, sketchable art all the way down. There was some random guy that I don't know if he was giving fortunes, but told Ooh. the person I was with, like, your aura is purple. And something else, and we could we just couldn't figure out what he meant by all of it. Mm. So either way, I didn't see the street ball area, but man, that's a place. Yeah. That is, that's a place. Quite a place. Yes. Huh. So Wesley Snipes is a black man. And in 30 Rock, Liz Lemon starts running into a white guy Named oh, Wesley, Wesley Snipes. Snipes. Yeah. And he says, who's he played by? What is his name? Yeah, He's yeah, from yeah. Masters of Sex. Is it Michael Sheen? Yeah. Okay. Michael Sheen. Yeah. And so he's this British <laughs> white guy. And she's like, why is your name Wesley Snipes? And he, and he finally is exasperated. And he turns to her and says, who would you think is better suited to that name? A black man or a nerdy white British fellow? And it's like, you're absolutely right. right. When you think about it, like Wesley Snipes, Snipes is like a classic, like nerdy British guy name. Yeah. And I've never been able to not think that now. It's like Wesley Snipes. It's like seeing the arrow in FedEx. Now you can't unsee yeah, now you it. Can't see it. <laughs> so, I mean, he had a point. Here, before we get into Jeopardy, I think we need to address basketball first because that's what this movie is basketball about. Basketball Jones. Did you ever play basketball? Mm-hmm. Were you a basketballer? Oh, yeah, I wanted to play for for um, Pat Clemens. I wanted to play for the Tennessee Volunteers. I was going to say, I don't know who that is, so I was hoping you were going to explain <laughs> it, so I would have Shemequa, to ask. I wanted to be Shemequa Holdsclaw. I don't have any... <laughs> you, are you making... <laughs> no, I'm not. Shemequa Holdsclaw, 1990... Was that a player or a coach? Eight. She was the star player of the Tennessee Volunteers oh, okay. the year that they beat Old Dominion for the entire title. Pat Clemens. Oh, it was such a great So then did you play in NCAA grade school? tournament? Yeah, I played from whenever they let me until through eighth grade. Okay. And then I had a really negative experience in seventh and eighth grade. And just burned you and out. Yeah. The coach was, well, the two coaches were dads of two of the girls on the team. And the one coach was also an orthopedic doc and I had been having knee pain Mm -hmm. and he ended up taking x-rays of my knees and saw that my growth plates were closing on those x-rays and then no longer really wanted to play me because I wasn't really going to get any taller. So that was fun. That doesn't make any it's like why put effort into you when you're not really going anywhere so this guy was like a little too intense for grade school basketball is what i'm hearing it was just a real mess yeah they really shouldn't have been the coaches yeah yeah and they played a lot of favorites and it just felt very like 
political mm. for seventh and eighth grade basketball. And the coaches stayed with the team both years and it just really sucked. Yeah. And it was just a pretty negative experience and kind of ruined me for it. Do you think if you got handed a basketball today though, you could like dribble like well, pretty yeah. good? <laughs> like, do you think you could do, do you think you could do like, okay? Yeah. I played a little bit at UD. Okay. I, oh, like, rec- like, uh... like, no, just like on the courts at the old pack. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, I played on a couple of those, like, what's it called? Um, intramurals. Yeah. But I just, you know, I'm five six, not tall. A fucking Oakwood, though. Short white boy. The SWBL is the, called the Short White Boys League. Like, no. you're not, we're not tall. No one's tall. Like, the coach's daughter is shorter than me. And well, the other coach's daughter is my height. Were her lights closed? <laughs> Probably, because he's fucking 5'8". But it's okay. I'm not better at all. That is the one sport I hate it hate basketball it. and i just i wasn't good at it oh. i didn't want to get good at it my parents made me play for like two years and yeah. i was just after that like i did it i did the thing you wanted i don't <laughs> like now it. i'm done i can't dribble for shit it'll bounce off my shoe i can't yeah. do the between the legs thing oh wow i can't shoot worth a goddamn and i used to go to ud for basketball camps in the summer really and we would stay at Stuart hall oh wow with no air conditioning and all the um, players would be our coaches. And then the one player at UD ended up marrying Xavier's coach. And then she was... A traitor. A traitor. Yes, big time. I was like, you're a UD grad. But I got away from it in high school because of the negative experience. But mm-hmm. then I grew up in Dayton, so we went to UD basketball games every winter throughout the winter. So I was always a huge... I mean, basketball was the thing we watched I've watched more basketball than any other sport, I think. I care more about it than any other sport. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. That is something you and I differ on. I love... Oh, my God. Not having March Madness fucking sucks. I had no idea oh, you're a big I March Madnessy person. I love March Madness. See, I like, I like it for any excuse at a sport for me to like yell and get excited Mm -hmm. but then i can i want to do no research beforehand i don't want to be invested (laughs) for an entire season and when it's over i wash my hands and i'm done i mean i've become a fair not a fair weather fan but i i don't pay as much attention to ud now i really miss going to games and i'm just not invested in ohio state like i need to commit to a team here and if i did it'd probably be the blue jackets see that's the closest i get to and even then it's just like check once or twice a month to be like all right are they they good still are we bad again i mean i pay a good amount of attention to ohio state football but if we're talking winter sports i really miss going to ud games there's nothing like that arena it's so great i've been small town big arena huge fan base but not that hard to navigate Mm. it's like a perfect situation for me because i don't really like crowds I've been to one game and it was like six years, seven years after we graduated. No, you it, never went when you were in school? I was supposed to go to uh, one game. I painted myself blue. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> I was supposed to go to one game with a dearly departed friend, Garrett, yeah. and we made a pact with each other the oh, night no. before the Xavier game. And Garrett and it was forgot. No, he didn't forget. He just didn't care. Oh, and it was, no. we are both going to get tickets. And if we can't get tickets together, we're both going to go to the bar and watch the game. 
And so and the then next he day, went and you didn't. I called him and he was like, hey, <laughs> Garrett, why are you? Oh, I'm at the game. And I was like, okay, so Tim, Tim and John and I went to the bar oh and we sat there and watched it at Tim's. And Tim's had a TV about about maybe two uh, two feet by two feet, it, you know, like a teeny right. tiny TV for a bar. Mm-hmm. And that thing, it, it wasn't like high def. It was literally just like an oh old CRT. God. And we watched the game there. We were just laughing the whole time. Like we can barely make out what's happening. <laughs> it's that, hilarious. That was the closest I got to going to a game at wow. Dayton. Yeah. I went to more soccer games at UD. Wow. Yeah. Blows your mind. The one connection, Sarah, though, that I do have to this movie, sporting-wise, though, wasn't good at basketball. Mm -hmm. So I was never a basketball hustler. Mm -hmm. I was never a bowling hustler, but this may shock you. Hmm. Hustling and bowling is a real thing. No, really? And it's a big thing. Really? Yeah. People will sandbag at the alleys. If If you especially go during leagues... And they'll have people kind of sub in and out from other leagues and things like mm-hmm. that. You'll see teams that will purposely tank like a game and then side bets start throwing down. All of a sudden people are throwing down like 50 bucks, 100 bucks Jeez. here and there. And you I see no people. Idea. Oh, I'm dead. It gets so intense. And I got I got asked to sub in a handicap league. So I didn't even need to do phenomenal in this right. league because I had a decent handicap. But I did terrible. Hmm. Like terrible, terrible for whatever these these this these matches. And the guys were starting to get really angry oh, at me because no. they had money on it and I didn't know that. And oh, I think no. I lost these guys a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. But I was just like, look, I'm, I'm just fun. playing. Yeah, I'm bowling. Well, Brian was saying that the Woody Harrelson's basically playing kind of similar to Kingpin in a way. Oh, you're right. You know, with bowling. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. So either way, that's the closest thing I can think to a sport that would have an analogous hustling sport. Because I don't... Golf, it's like you're with people the entire time. You're locked into too long of a time frame. Yeah. You know, you're not going to hustle someone necessarily like 18 holes hard. Or maybe you would, I guess. Maybe, but probably not. Yeah. It's too difficult to really do that. And then... You can't really do it with field sports because there are just too many players. Yeah, maybe tennis. I guess tennis maybe. Boxing, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, like I said, I've a... Actually, you know what? I did make a side bet once with a guy, but we weren't... I wasn't hustling. I was just... It was a side bet. Right. And he didn't call me on it, but it was that he had a landscape company and I did too. And it was that if his team beat us, I had to give him 15 customers. Wow. That's a lot of customers. Yeah, I was drunk. But... uh, I got to pick the customers was the mistake that he made. And so at the end, he's like, all right, so you're going to give me those customers. I'm like, you said I got to pick them. You know, you're going to get the ones that don't pay. He's like, yeah, I don't want them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's true. So I made sure I had the upper hand in that. Mm, The upper lower hand. 20 minutes in, we get Rosie Perez Mm -hmm. coming and he arrives home after, after beating Wesley Snipes and hustling him. That whole hustling scene at the beach too was awesome yeah where he's telling her about playing the wind and (laughs) and being just off and all that and rosie press i could listen to her read the phone book yeah she's just so damn energetic and all that and we see her her bed i believe is like covered in jeopardy books yeah let's dive into jeopardy tell me first of all they wanted to cast (laughs) someone else But they fought for her. Woody Harrelson and Mm -hmm. Wesley Snipes fought for her and said she would be really good. They were worried about her being Puerto Rican and having Mm -hmm. this be like a mixed race relationship. I think Holly Hunter was one of them. And uh, I can't remember another white woman, which I just don't see in that role. Um, So they, they ended up casting her. 
and they were like, she can do this. She can stand up to this. I was very confused as a child about her because she came to my school and read us children's books when I was in like second grade. You're going to need to talk a <laughs> lot slower because each word first, second, third, <laughs> funny. It was somewhere between first to third grade. She came. Rosie to, Perez came to Dayton, Ohio yeah. to read mm-hmm. children's books. It was books. like the national day of reading or read in or whatever it was. Yeah. And she read to us. And I, so I thought she was from Dayton. Like, why else would she come to Dayton, Ohio? Unless she was from Dayton. Yeah. I don't know why she came. I don't know. But Rosie Perez just showed up Mm -hmm. in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. I don't know what to do with this, Sarah. She was lovely. Was she, that was, I mean, that's the natural question. Was she as lovely as she seemed like? Yeah, really nice and pretty. Very small. Um, but I was also like seven. You were so. also yourself very small. Yeah. But um, I mean, this had to, if it was second grade, this is probably 1993. So it was so like it was right, right in here. there. Yeah. Ro- peak Rosie Perez. Yes. That's amazing. What was it like? I mean, I just said I could I listen to her read the phone book. I don't remember, really. I don't, she didn't have that accent though. She didn't have that really heavy accent. So she turned it on for this movie? See, I yeah. think I've seen her in interviews and it, it isn't like this over the top, but right. she definitely has oh, like yeah. a, she still a has cadence a to it. a Brooklyn accent, but not that heavy. I don't remember. Are you finding it? Yeah. To anyone that may be furiously Googling Dayton, Ohio and Rosie Perez, you're going to find a former athlete from the University of Dayton named Rosie Perez. So uh, good luck. Good luck digging. Good luck finding anything else. Out. So... Uh, <laughs> One thing that I did, what I wasn't thinking this was going to be a romantic comedy until about minute 30-ish. Again, Rosie Perez doesn't come into like 20. But at one point around here, they number one have like their banter when she walks in, when he walks into the apartment. Classic rom-com writing. I mean, their back and forth is really, really quick. Yeah. It's quippy. But the part that made me go, this is a romantic comedy is when he's driving with her and she straddles him while he's driving his car down the street. <laughs> so dangerous. And he's still, but he's still like playing it up and kind of looking around her. <laughs> That's a romantic comedy move right there. I like guess. a goofy, over-the-top physical comedy thing. But like so dangerous. No, it's definitely dangerous. But it's there a romantic comedy There were lots of swears move. in this, too. It was a racy... It was. Rom-com. Well, and then a guy pulls a gun. It, yeah. At one point, threatens to shoot everybody. Like, well, that's apparently where um, Ron Shelton got the idea for this movie. Because Ron Shelton wrote and directed this movie, and he had just done Bull Durham a few years before. He's done Tin Cup. He's done Blue Chips. Oh, wow. So this guy's sports is like this guy's wheelhouse. for sure. And Los Angeles, too. He's done a couple of Los Angeles-based movies. But um, he had heard, because he liked to play on those courts, or at least be around those courts. And one day, the courts were all chained up. He's like, what happened? He said, well, somebody shot somebody on this court and now it's under investigation. He's like, what happened? He said, he went to his glove box. And I guess that's what, if someone goes for their glove box, you know, to scatter just run. and everyone just runs. And he went and shot the guy. And he's like, that's my movie right there. Like that is what this movie is going to be based on. And then he said, he, he said he wanted the other storyline, but he didn't know what it was going to be. And he didn't want, her to only be um like a side character to 
him. He wanted mm. her to have her own story. And then someone was talking about how they were studying all this time for Jeopardy and really stressed out about it. And he's like, that's it. He said, so it's totally random and the plots don't have anything to do with each other, but they were both really interesting and he wanted them to each have their own stories. Yeah. So. Well, and I would say another thing that makes me lean towards being able to argue this is a romantic comedy mm -hmm. is that the bulk of the plot may be Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson playing basketball. Right. But the motivation behind them doing that is the relationship with both of their the women in their lives. Yeah, that's Wesley true. Snipes is entirely doing it because not because necessarily he Whoa. wants to better he's not entirely doing it because for, he's got three other jobs that probably pay better she's like you're still playing basketball and he's like i love basketball it's making me money it's like making well, but him she's, she's a, but she said but she says she wants to move out of that apartment and yeah. he goes to basketball it isn't a vista money and quick. it isn't a view yeah but it's a way for him to make a lot of money quick to get his family out of the apartment because that his wife wants to. Yeah. Woody Harrelson is trying to get him and Rosie Perez out of trouble yeah. to make a better life for her. And I guess ultimately to get her on Jeopardy. To get them not to be killed. They're yeah. running from one place but, to another, hiding from these brothers. But what I'm saying is that it could be just seen as a movie about Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes playing basketball. I see it as a movie about men being motivated by the women in their lives and what they need. And their love for basketball. I mean, there's got to be a love <laughs> their of Their love you're... for the game. If you don't love what you're doing, then why are you doing it? Because <laughs> you're going to be killed if you don't make enough money. <laughs> it also We also do have a, a sex scene in here, which is... I mean, romantic comedies have sex scenes, Sarah. It's kind of a weird sexy <laughs> montage, too. Which and it's, and it's kind of long. Which one? The first one. All I can think is like when he's in the shower. Yeah, yeah. And then he like comes out and they have like this sexy sex scene. Yeah. And it's like a long one. There are a lot of montages too. Lots of basketball. Lots of basketball. Montages. When then they're, after they have that sexy sex scene, they're banter in bed about a glass of water. Yeah. Well, that's she... the next day they wake up. We the... And she it... says, my mouth is dry. But that's, that is... That's a that's a rom com writing. Yes. No, you're supposed to tell me that I can't do I a mean, good Rosie that's Perez. It's ridiculous. just gonna sound bad. And it was like making me a little bit upset because I have had a very similar conversation with Brian. Like that is an ongoing Wait, walk me through this because I think I think I think the big point that this movie's trying to make is something I need to learn. <laughs> I so, don't know if it is. Oh, okay. Well go go ahead. You so you want you want Brian to want to give you the water. No. I want him to hear me and sympathize with rather than solving the problem. But the idea of a glass of water is so ridiculous and makes me angry because I think it's a really good point about a lot of male-female relationships that men often want to solve the problem. They don't want to actually hear mm -hmm. what the woman is saying, mm -hmm. which is something that Brian does a lot because mm -hmm. he's solutions-driven, whereas I'm like, I'm just talking. Mm -hmm. I need something to reflect and someone to commiserate and hear. And when she says it's, a, it's ultimately about control, it's in the man wanting to control the woman just by providing the solution. And I was like, holy shit, I've never taken it another step. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, because once you are 
you know, providing that solution, then you can wash your hands of the conversation. It's like, we're done. Mm. I solved that problem. Move on. Instead of being in a dialogue, Mm. in a conversation in which both people are sharing, Mm. which I thought was very interesting, but like a fucking glass of water. Don't say my mouth is dry. I'm sorry, baby. Is your mouth dry? Like I would hand her a glass. Like anyone would hand her a glass of water. Uh That's a ridiculous thing. But I guess it is an extreme. Position. I mean, it does make yeah. It makes the point because it, I I am the same way. To, and it's not to me. It, it's never about a control thing. It's just like if someone. You don't ha- know if it's not a control thing. In my mind, it's not okay. It, well, in it, Brian's it, mind, I'm sure it isn't either. But that doesn't mean it's not a control thing. It's it's it's, it's not about, a. I, conscious control at least consciously in my head then (laughs) what is going through my head is someone i care about has a problem i do not like that person in distress can we work together to reach this solution so work together no no let me (laughs) can i reach the solution to solve this problem for them i'm not talking about i'm talking about me sir we're talking about my relationship issues now (laughs) because one time i was uh seeing a girl who was going through a job search and it was a big, you know, every day things weren't panning out and it was, it, it, it wears, it wears on a person when yeah. it's every day, like things aren't going well. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. And so, but I tried coming up with then, okay, well, how can we, how can you stay motivated? You know, what, what are some different avenues? Can we put our heads together and come up with creative jobs you may be interested in at least? And I tried making it fun. No, that was the wrong thing to do yeah, entirely. Yeah, annoyed too. Well, but here, I know, but here's my question to you then. And this is the area that I need to grow in. How in the hell do I sit there and listen and make it clear that I, I care, mm-hmm. and but that I'm not just um, placating you or giving platitudes going, uh-huh, yeah, sure, because I also because there's tried this- a middle ground between uh huh, yeah, sure, and have you thought about this? Have you done this? Maybe you okay. should do that. Hey, okay. do this. Well, because I also tried another strategy. I tried the same time because I saw I saw that I that wasn't working, so mm-hmm. I went, let's try a different strategy. And- Instead of thinking of this as like some personal girl boy problem Mm -hmm. what would you do if this were your friend who you cared a lot about i would literally say let's just solve this problem and get it solved and we would (laughs) solve what if you're talking to like elliot or something we i mean again it would be a very solution oriented i don't think so if you were sitting at trivia and talking to elliot about a problem you would maybe bring up a few points Mm -hmm. you'd talk it through and then you'd move on Mm. I think that's all you need to do. So I need to relax is what yes. you're saying. Okay. Yeah, because I'm sure after doing this all day, she doesn't want to come home and then have a whole thing with you about it. Well, you're probably right. And, and you're probably right. It's like she wants to know that you care and that you, you know, hey, I was just thinking about this today or whatever. Mm. But you don't need to like yeah. run through like her entire LinkedIn profile and like judge it up and do Mm. whatever and have you thought about this and have you thought about that like it's one facet of a life that you would hopefully share together Mm. and you don't want to focus only on it or she'll kill you no no i mean but what i'm i guess what i'm saying is then i would 
I tried a couple different, str- I tried then commiserating. I'm like, okay, well, I've, you know, here I have been in a similar situation. I understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. That did not go it well. It comes off as condescending. And, and that's the, yeah, I thought the same thing too, but it's all I had. Mm-hmm. And so then I was so in my head at that point. Oh, no. I didn't know what, to, I didn't know what to do. And, yeah. and it well, didn't. Well, it's a rough situation. It, it is. And I, did the, and I did the best. And now I'm looking back and I'm doing a, you know. I'm doing a breakdown and I'm trying to say, okay, ne- next time, what do I need? And it sounds like mm-hmm. it's, I need to just take a breath. Chill out. Yeah. yeah. And become, but it's one of those situations where you, you forget how to be a normal person. You forget how, mm-hmm. like, what do I do with my hands? I don't know what, what to do with my hands. What you need to do okay. is get two mugs two mugs, <laughs> and then walk around with them. Just kidding. What you need to do is probably have a few drinks and then reassess. Mm-hmm. Because that will probably take you down a notch and, you know, clear you out a little bit. Relax the buzzing in your brain. Yeah. So that you don't blow up your relationship. Yeah. Well. (laughs) Oh, well. Well, you know, my heart. you won't be in that place. Well, hearts, you know, my heart is always in the right place, I think, at the very least. I'm not starting from malicious. That's good. But, but. But. Back to. I mean, and that really is, to me, that was, that's what this movie that's what this movie's point kind of at the end was is they were even walking away it was like you need to actually you know rosie perez said that to mm-hmm. woody harrelson but then it was reiterated by wesley snipes i think two or three times in the movie yeah. and especially at the end of don't just don't listen to me yeah don't listen to me <laughs> listen and, to her yeah and and actually l- hear what she is saying don't right. just the words like actually understand what is behind them yeah. and again there's another argument that's romantic comedy it's not just life advice it is relationship advice mm-hmm. and we see the relationship play out yeah and run its course yeah. and, and though they don't end up together i genuinely thought they ended up together Aww. i remembered it that way and when she went away, she skated away on the rollerblades. Roller oh, the little rollerblades. I love that. And she had the wrist, the wrist guards. Wrist guards. I had some of those. Oh, yeah. I always yeah. wanted them because I always fell and hit my wrist. Yeah. But I would say, again, that's another point towards it being a romantic comedy. Is it, it's mm. teaching him a lesson about a romantic interpersonal relationship yeah. and filling in those gaps. I think, um, I kept thinking she had these dumb points when she said the quote that I used at the beginning mm-hmm. was like, it's not win and it's not lose. And you sometimes when you win, you lose. And it's like, it's basketball for God's sake. Like that's insane. But then she forced him to go to the, you know, mostly black area of town at night when they weren't supposed to be there. And he's like, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. And I was thinking this is a bad idea, but they get there and, and she, it proves her right that they were hustling him. I was really surprised. I did not see that coming. And that she found a way between win and lose. She basically found yeah. a, a way to get beyond win and lose to figure out how they could not be cheated by Wesley Snipes and work together Yeah, rather than having that be the end of the interaction, which was very clever. And then... When she gives him that two grand and he's like, this is so great. I'm going to go buy clothes and I'm going to apply for jobs and whatever. And and then he almost immediately wants to go spend it on this basketball game. And she's like, no, this is crazy. Like she literally bladed away. And I was like, that is the smartest. I think I said it out loud. This is the smartest thing she has done 
the entire movie. I mean, it, after this movie, she's the character that's the best off, right? Oh, of for all sure. of them. Absolutely. Yeah, because she seems to have a pretty solid head on her shoulders. Oh, for sure. They don't say how much she won, but she's clearly well off now. Yeah. and Not well off, but has paid her debts and is done. And it's kind of a shitty situation because she's the one who gets them in debt to begin with. But then it's his choices mm. that get them in this horrible position. Yeah. And then it's his continued choices that really fuck shit up and he keeps losing all of their well, money. It's because it's all Marty McFly shit. Like people are calling him chicken basically. Yeah. He, he and can't, he can't handle it. Yeah. Oh, you can't dunk. Oh, you can't do this. So you, <sighs> and he just throws it all away so for pride. Stupid. When I say, I, I say this to people all the time about aspects of my life. Pride is too expensive. Yeah. Like I will gladly look at, call me whatever the hell you want. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's too expensive. That's why especially seeing him in this movie hurts me so bad. It's like you have so much. That scene where Wesley Snipes bets him all the money he just made on that tournament if he can dunk. And Wesley Snipes doesn't even want to bet him. He's like, this yeah, is so stupid. He's reluctantly and I don't want to do this. And he's like, no, we're doing this. Best out of three. And they find this shitty um, hoop. Like, this movie makes L.A. look like a fucking wasteland, by the way. Oh, yeah. Especially this, what, it's like a used car lot or something that is like, like tumble. like a burned out yeah, like tumble warehouse next to it. Like, and just a random hoop. You're like, oh, South Central looks great. And then he can't fucking dunk. It's like everyone knows he can't. He can't do it. And he loses all the money he just made. It's like, you idiot. Yeah. And again, Wesley Snipes reluctantly takes it. Yeah. Because again, even if he said, no, don't worry about the bet, Woody Harrelson would lose his shit because yeah. his pride was being challenged. Right. And then right around there, or right after that, actually, as he's walking home to Rosie Perez, he sees a dress in the window. Yes. And he buys her a dress for Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And that's how he tells her that he, he lost, lost all, all the, the money. money. About this dress. She called it a hoochie, hoochie mama, mama dress, but then yeah. didn't she wear it on she Jeopardy? Did. It looked like a normal dress. No. It's super tight and super short with sequins all over, like, the lining. Bo- the boobular region. Yeah. Maybe then this is a good time to get into Jeopardy, Sarah. Yeah. You've recently been on Jeopardy. I have, yes. What was the air date on that again? March 16th. March 16th. Yes. You wore a jacket. And a green shirt. So you didn't go with the skin tight boobular dress. No, I had to buy a jacket the second day. I sat through the first day of airing because I didn't get chosen the first five games. Because they do two days. They do two days of filming five games each day, Tuesday and Wednesday. So Tuesday, I sat through the entire day and didn't get chosen. And it was so cold in the studio. And how how cold was it? Like 50 degrees. It was so cold. All the production staff was wearing winter coats. And... So is that because the lights? I don't know, maybe because they don't want you to like spit out on Jeopardy mm, and that stuff. Makes sense. Yeah, probably a combination. But um, we stayed in a hotel right by the Westfield Mall, so we just went across the street to the mall, and I bought a blazer at Express. So I represented Brian's company when uh, I was back on air the next day. And wore my blazer and my green sweater. And it was not an outfit I would have chosen or had chosen, but it's what I ended up wearing. (laughs) And then the makeup artist that day, I didn't like as much as I did the day before. And I feel like she didn't quite have my face right, but no. I thought you looked, I thought you looked lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So then Rosie Perez, 
just is studying for Jeopardy, but she's made no effort to get on Jeopardy. I don't know. Or maybe she applied and is just waiting for the call. Well, so then walk us through your, your very quickly. Well, your I don't hun- know what it was like in 92, but I'm sure it was similar. You have to take a test. And based on that test, which now is online and only is given at certain times, although they've just changed it, now it's online and you can take it whenever. whenever. They just, like, literally, like... In the last six weeks, they've changed it. Mm. Um, but it used to be that it was only once, maybe twice a year. And depending on how well you do on that test, which is timed and you know only available at certain times, then you would get a callback for an audition. And the auditions are regional. So last summer happened to be in Columbus. The year before I was in Cleveland. I got called in, but I was on vacation and I didn't end up being able to go. So the next year I took the test again and I got called back and went to the audition in Columbus. So the second time you tried getting on Jeopardy, you got on Jeopardy basically. Yeah. And then... Wild. Yeah. And then um, the audition process involves taking another 50 question time test, doing, um, filling out a whole bunch of paperwork and stories and things, and then being interviewed and doing a mock test and doing things where they see if you can actually like speak in front of a camera in front of others. And it's like two hours. There were only 25 of us and people were from all over, from all over Ohio and then Michigan, two from Canada, somebody who had just moved to North Carolina, but was from like Kentucky or something. And then you're in a pool of candidates for 18 months and you don't know where you are in that pool, but it's based on your first online test, your second in-person test and how well you did in the mock interview and stuff. So I got done with the audition in the end of July and I got a call December 15th or 14th to come out in January. And then we taped on January 14th and 15th, something like that. And there, you do not get your own private dressing room. <laughs> That's for sure. And you especially didn't in 1992, even if you're the winner. You're in there, you're in the mix with everybody else. Sizing each other up. Yeah, like Paul was a five-day winner, and when he was coming back, he had won the last three games of the Wednesday previous, and then he came back the following Tuesday and was on the bus, or bus, on the shuttle with us and got in the studio, and nobody knew that, he didn't tell anyone, nobody knew that he was the winner who was coming back, and he had to sit through the entire hour-long onboarding session again, and he won another two games and he was super nice, really um, humble. You know, I think some people can probably be a-holes, but he was great. And um, it's like you're in the mix with everybody else. There's one green room and you're all in it. And um, then you all have to, <laughs> Lori is one of the producers. She, um, you can only go to the bathroom if you're, accompanied by a producer so that you're not like passing notes or cheating or talking to people you shouldn't be. So after everybody is moving around, then Lori will go, turlet, turlet, turlet time. And everyone who has to go to the turlet will follow Lori and then we'll 
<laughs> I'll have toilet time between games. And then uh, you just sit there in the audience until the game is over. And then they literally draw names five minutes before the next oh, game wow. starts. So you don't know. Yeah. So you're just kind of thrown to the wolves. Yeah. Are you just like like butterflies in your stomach the whole yeah. time? Oh, yeah. The whole time. So Tuesday, I sat through five games not knowing if I would get on or what would happen. You know, it's like you're just sitting there. Oh. So it was a very nerve wracking day. And my family, my parents and Brian and Emma were both there. The whole, we're all there the whole day. Also not knowing. Just waiting. And you're, and you're across the aisle from them and you're not allowed to talk to them or look at them or acknowledge them in any way. It's weird. That's uh, really weird. You don't get a private dressing room and no one can go in that room who's not a contestant. There's no way Woody Harrelson could got have gotten in. in that room. No, and a guitar. Where the hell did he get a guitar? A guitar. No way. <laughs> but other than so that, so Brian didn't sneak backstage to sing you a song, is what you're oh saying? Oh God, no. There's a security guard posted <laughs> outside that door who is not effing around. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did I you... mean, they have. We have a debrief with a attorney every no. day. Really? To talk about like how we can't do a quiz show type thing where you cheat and you know, they're very serious about it. Yeah. So watching this movie, were you just sitting there every scene of Jeopardy? Like, mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah. Nope. For sure. Was her. Okay. So as you were leading up to Jeopardy, it just literally is. They don't even give you a broad strokes of what they may. It's just literally. Oh, no. Okay. But they no, do. They don't know until that did, day. But didn't they tell you like tips didn't they give you tips like no children's i think you said they told you like that's what james holzhauer oh okay okay you can listen to past contestants but you can't get tips from jeopardy so rosie press just diving into every little book and knowing like foods with q yeah and then four years later they had that as a category and alex said if you watch my man can't jump this category may sound familiar because they did Foods that Begin with Q. That's incredibly funny. Yeah, the writers of Jeopardy write six six games and then uh the publishing house that or the yeah, the publishing house that it's like a Pricewaterhouse kind of thing mm. handles which of those games get chosen and then they actually send them over to Alex and the producers. So they don't know anything oh, about okay. any of the process. And then which games are getting chosen and everything. It's very serious. They're not effing around. Well, and yours seemed like mostly normal categories, except for... Mostly normal. They were fine in in regular Jeopardy, but Double Jeopardy fucking sucked. It was like... Wasn't geography of... It was North Korean geography. It was like <laughs> something architecture... Then it was like Shakespeare sayings. It wasn't just straight Shakespeare. It was like Shakespeare sayings and just stuff that was like, what? So random and difficult. So it didn't go all that well. I thought you did pretty well. I mean, your faces were my favorite part of watching you do it. You made a lot of faces. You made a lot of faces, much more than the other two people, but they were always entertaining. Like, (laughs) oh, mm, no. So yeah, apparently I do a lot. Yeah, that was that was a blast. 
So do you, so you don't think white men can't jump? Got this very accurate whatsoever. Actually, Ooh, actually. Uh, Rosie Perez didn't mean to say Mount Zuvius. She went like Mount Zuvius and it's Mount Vesuvius. Mm-hmm. And Alex just ad-libbed turning to the judges and being like, "Ooh, we need a judgment call on that. And they approved it. And he's like, they take it. There's no way they would have they approved that. that. Yeah. There's no way. I was kind of thinking the same thing too. And Alex gets the judgment calls actually. Does he? Unless he specifically says like, ooh, I need a ruling on this. And like, then there is a, a panel of so, judges. Oh yeah. No, they watch the game the whole time. They're sitting Shut over to the up. left. Um, but if you say something incorrectly and Alex accepts it, then you move on. But if Alex asks for a judgment or is like, ooh, I don't know about that, they'll either say no and you'll get it incorrectly or they'll take it off later and be like, you actually didn't say that correctly and come back later and take the money away. Oh, no. Yeah, so it's it's pretty serious. Yeah. The only thing I haven't really asked you about Jeopardy over the last couple of weeks, and it's a very specific moment that they do show in this movie is waiting for your name to be called. Mm-hmm. Is that like crazy stressful? Are you excited? What's like the emo? Do you feel like it's an athlete surreal. about to perform? And then you don't remember it. I don't remember. Did it you at basically all. black out? I don't out? remember waving. I don't remember doing that. <laughs> I don't remember the first five minutes of the show. And then my feet fell asleep toward the end of the show because I was like so nervous. I don't know. Kind of a blur. I mean, those games feel like they last seven minutes. They're so fast. And then it's over. Is And there's no cheering. The crowd doesn't cheer. Yeah, they do. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, okay. They clap and cheer. Because yeah. they were cheering in this. The right side is much rowdier because that's just the people who are there to watch. And then the left side is family and friends. Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like a crowd that actually comes. I yeah. am still so mad that I, I just couldn't make it to where I could go out there because I, I think that sounded like the coolest yeah. weirdest and then out in the lobby thing. they have all of this memorabilia and you can stand behind a fake um jeopardy podium and get your picture taken and all this stuff well, you have there. a picture with alex trebek that you I do. now can show yeah. people are you trebek with mustache or without mustache without. oh you're a without well, he has got chemo so he doesn't his hair is a wig anyway yeah so he doesn't wear a fake mustache yeah that was one of the things that when my dad went through like chemo or whatever he kind of went through. Mm-hmm. I was terrified because I went away for a week to go to camp. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure. <laughs> Who are you? Well, no, when I came, I was just, I had it in my head. I'm like, when you, you just need, because he always had a mustache. Yeah. It was like, when you come back, it's going to be gone. You need to be okay with mm-hmm. it. And I remember, it so weird. no, he, he never lost it. Oh. He, he never lost because he was on some other dip. It wasn't like the hair fallout. I don't huh. know. He was on something else. Um, He took like a pill or Radiation, maybe? I, uh, he did radiation, too. I know. Okay. It was some experimental thing, because huh. he was, like, so far gone. It was, right. yeah. But uh, but he never lost his mustache. And I just remember this sigh of relief when I got back from Thank camp. And I told God, my mom, like, mustache. months, you know, like, a year or two later, I was, like, mm-hmm. I was genuinely stressed about that. Oh. Like, to a degree that I, like, didn't realize, you know, it was everything else. Yeah. And that was just the thing I could put it right. on. But uh, that's, right. I guess that's maybe why I'm pro-mustache. I mean, my dad would grow a beard a lot of winters yeah 
and then he would shave it off after squash season was over That's like a, fun a spring sentence. shave and then i'd be like who are you it's so weird it is it's weird when you're a kid oh, so your God. dad with June a different would type lose of her mind because she has never seen brian without a beard he's always had a beard in her life i mean he shaved it he grew a beard in like 2000 like the spring of 2015, or like he was flirting around with Movember in 2014. Yeah, like he started farting around with Movember, I think in like 2013, he grew a mustache. Then in 2014, he grew a beard, and that was kind of cool. And then it wasn't really until I think like March or April that he really committed to a beard and got like the fade on the sides of his hair. And I was like, oh, you look really good. And he had like lost weight and started like working out more or something and everyone was like whoa you look great and like we went to mexico that summer with brian's family for vacation and everyone was like brian looks so good and i think it like stuck and then for i don't know why for whatever reason when emma was like midway through kindergarten he shaved his face one morning and i was still sleeping and he came in and all i saw out of the corner of my eye was this like fleshy face i was like I screamed. I was so surprised. And he's like, I don't know why I did. I already regret it. <laughs> like, went to work the next day and everyone was like, oh. Because <laughs> like, they'd never you? seen yeah. it. Because he, he started at Express the beginning of August. And it was like, who are, what is this? Is this what you really look like under there? And ever since then, he's <laughs> the beard again. incredibly funny. <laughs> And June would lose it. She really would. I well, I even just, like, I don't, I usually have like a f- five o'clocky shadow kind of thing, mm-hmm. but I shaved it and came over and June lost her freaking mind. Oh, yeah. I looked exactly the same, yeah. but she lost she like her it. ever loving well, shit. You should be scruffy. <laughs> Get away. Get away, Justin. Get away. Do you have any more notes about this movie? <clears throat> when I was a child... When you were 17. I had some very good beer. And um, when I was a child, I watched Jeopardy every night. It went, we didn't have cable at my mom's. So I'd get home from wherever. I, I was so young, I don't even remember where I was, whether it was like daycare or preschool, probably preschool. And she would make dinner and it was like, Little House on the Prairie, which I never liked. Then MASH. Then the 5 o'clock news. Or, yeah, and then the the 6 o'clock news, 6.30 national news, or whatever. And then 7 o'clock was Wheel of Fortune, which is what I called it as a kid. And then 7.30 was Jeopardy. And I would wear, I would jump on my tiny personal trampoline and watch Jeopardy until bedtime it was always bedtime after jeopardy and um it was so funny like we moved to columbus and jeopardy's on at seven and i'm still not used to it it's not right it should be on at 7 30 so you've been a jeopardy this was like a really my whole big life deal. yeah alex became the host the year i was born and i've known him my whole life and I prefer him with a mustache if I could have a choice, but I'll take him anyway. Yeah. I can get him. And oh my gosh. And my stepdad used to come home around 7.30 from work, 7.15 or 7.30. And then we'd end up watching 
Jeopardy. And then you'd go take the dog for a walk. It was always Jeopardy. Jeopardy like, centric. We always watching Jeopardy. And I've had so many people say, we watch every night and we saw you. Or my mom watches religiously and she thinks you're very pretty and composed. Like I've had so many texts or emails of like, my parents watch and they saw you on. And like our neighbor who I've talked to a few times, um, he's like, I know this is, he's like 70, 75. He's like, I know this is going to sound really strange, but were you on Jeopardy last night? Get out of town. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was. He's like, I thought that was you. My wife and I watch every night. <laughs> it was really funny. That's so marvelous. It's just such a connection to people. And I think the biggest takeaway I had from it is that it, in reality, is such a small show. It's such a small soundstage with not that many people working on it. And it's got such a huge national presence and also such a huge history in pop culture and in everyone's lives over the years. It's crazy. And when you get to the studio, it's like, it's not very big. There are like a handful of producers, a handful of camera people, the host, two makeup people. It's like you're not you know it's not a big production and and the producers are standing right off to the side the minute they cut to commercial they come running out and talking to you and it's during the middle of the day you always think of jeopardy as being an evening show but it's in the 10 o'clock in the morning 11 o'clock in the morning it's really different to actually be on it and then when you watch it now when i watch it now i know exactly what's going on and it does that make it better or different different I can still get back into the regular old Jeopardy because you're just used to it. But then when I think about it, I'm like, oh, I know when this is, you know, and like what day it is and what time they're shooting this because of where it falls in the week. And it's just so weird. And how incredibly routined these people's lives must be. This poor woman, Maggie, who's doing the morning briefing I don't know how she hasn't lost her mind because she has done it for years and years and years. And it is the same thing because I was one of the few who got to hear it two mornings in a row. It's the same. And Ken Jennings did it 75 times. Like, I can't imagine how many times he heard that same spiel. It's like, how do he do it? I don't know. How long is the spiel? An hour, hour and 15 minutes. It's really long. Yeah. So, but so, I did it and I can never do it again because it's, that's it for your life. It was pretty great. And I did it. And because that white men can't jump has a special place in your heart now too. Yeah. I didn't know that. I only got through the first 30 minutes of it. So I didn't know that it was really in there. I was like, yeah, Rosie Perez is on Jeopardy. I'm like, what? She read to me as a kid. I don't I can't reckon any no, of no, this. No, no, Rosie just reads children's books. <laughs> you, mean the, you mean, the, you mean the basketball movie? And the woman who read to me is on Jeopardy? You do have a weird connection to white men can't jump. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. Are you going to come out of nowhere and tell me you met Wesley Snipes and like, a, I don't know. Like, no. Like he painted your house or something before he became famous? No, no. Wish, that'd be nice. That would be. I have three things. Okay. So, number one. 
it's some group I think it's the Brothers of Islam or something like that had to go in they made a deal the production staff made a deal with them that they would go into these areas to talk to all the gangs first oh, and like make so it cool? that they could film in those areas without creating a gang war in like multiple times and the production said that these guys were amazing to work with they straightened it all out and made it so that they could film in these areas because especially Woody Harrelson did not belong there at all and it was true like you don't go past you know this this side of La Brea after 10 p.m mm. like in 1992 Jesus like that was like the heyday of like gang warfare in Los Angeles so they made it happen. They made it work. Number two, all they the cast said that all of the best Yamama jokes had to be cut because they wanted to keep it not in NC-17 movies. Oh. They had to make it an R. And they, they were like going crazy because they would just ad-lib and do whatever. And so they had to cut a bunch of the best ones, they said, because they were just so raunchy. I was reading an article that was two years old, so I don't know if it's going anywhere, but apparently they were working on a remake starring, can you guess who it is? A, a, it's a basketball player. A, ba- a basketball player. And we're talking a remake, not like a sequel. I guess it really wouldn't even matter. It said remake. I don't hmm. know. A basketball player. I mean, I don't. I don't even know. He sometimes does shows at the Largo. Oh shoot! Uh, um, I know. I can't think of his name, but I know who you're talking about. Blake Griffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't heard anything in two years and two months. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to see that. Happening? I don't think I'd want to see that. I, I mean, I think this is just this. This stands the test of time. It was a great. So good. It was a great movie, but it's like. It's so good. It's just all the right pieces together. It's not, mm-hmm. it, you know, like it. it's, uh, the story's okay on its own, but it's all these independent pieces coming together that make it great. So to redo it, it would be nonsense. Right. Can you guess who was original, the original choice for Wesley Snipes' character? 1992. I don't really know a lot of actors. But he had to that. turn it down because he was going to play someone more serious in a biopic. Oh, was it Denzel Washington? Yeah. Because he was going to play Malcolm X. Yeah. Then this guy was going to play, not Charlie Sheen, because he walked away from it, but this guy really wanted the role, but couldn't play basketball very well. So he got turned down. Can you guess who it is? I mean, 1992. 92 has since gone on to a lot of sci-fi and action fame. Also has dark hair. I'm drawing a blank. Keanu Reeves. No. Mm-hmm. Nah, no, no. They said that Woody Harrison said I probably would have just been Woody Boyd, but for the fact that Keanu Reeves didn't play great basketball. <laughs> I th- it's got to be Woody, though. Like, he's dopey. He's not cool. Yeah. I mean, that's they call him Opie. Like, yeah. they're not calling Keanu know, Reeves. He's perfect. Yeah, exactly. He's so perfect. And then the fact that you say he actually plays I mean, basketball. I mean, Keanu Reeves does play a dope in Bill and Ted. So I think, but it's like a cool dope. Yeah, like this is a this is like a farm boy, farm never boy. seen. A, he feels like a farm boy, never yeah. seen anything white bread. Yeah, type of character. And okay, so get this. This is great. So you know how Woody Harrison can't dunk. Yes. And in the end, he dunks in the big season. You know, finale. Yeah. 
you know, he, uh, Wesley Snipes throws the ball up to him and he dunks it. Well, they didn't tell Wesley Snipes that they lowered the basket uh, six inches, a half a foot. And they put like stick them on his hands so that when he grabbed it, he could really <laughs> get some traction. So he was just as amazed as everyone else. And then, um, and then they told him like it wasn't actually because he couldn't. He really couldn't actually dunk. So it makes sense. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So that white men can jump, I guess. Mm-hmm. And apparently, Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes are still good friends to this day. They said that it was a really. I guess they were in a movie together in 1989, and then this is their second time. And they are like really. They oh. said he said that they're like spiritual brothers now, and apparently. Was uh, Woody Harrelson won almost five grand off of Wesley Snipes playing basketball? Wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah. But hopefully, Woody Harrelson did not take uh, tax advice from Wesley Snipes. Did he get in trouble for taxes? Oh my God! Yes. Really? Wesley? Yes. There's SNL has done jokes about like, oh man, as long as you spend it before they can get it, the money's already gone. They can't get it from <laughs> I it. Did not know that. Yeah, it's oh, no. pretty ridiculous. Like, it was a big thing, too. Like, it wasn't a year or two he screwed up. Like, it was just really shitty, shady accounting. So this movie, Sarah, does have some Jeopardy facts and some Jeopardy liberties it takes. Mm -hmm. Some basketball liberties and some some basketball truths. But is it a romantic comedy, Sarah? Is it a romantic comedy? Let's run through. I don't know where my things are. Meet cute. We don't really have a meet cute because they're already dating. Yeah, we don't know. But how we meet Rosie Perez is the audience is at least a pretty entertaining where he walks in and they're very flirty. Apartment. Yeah, flirty back and forth and all that. But no, we don't actually ever see their meet cute or a meet cute between Wesley Snipes and his wife. Yes, but I don't think that's the relationship that we're concerned about. Yeah. So I guess technically not, but we've had movies before without. That starts, as you would say, in medias res. Yes. In the middle. Yes. <laughs> uh, soundtrack? The soundtrack? A lot of colorful yeah. 90s. Yeah. And I mean, it had the whole chunk uh, where they played Purple Haze mm. and Jimi Hendrix. I mm-hmm. mean, they even commented on the importance of kind of music. Are you hearing him? <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd say I don't really remember a ton of these songs, but I know a lot of the the early artists. 90s hip hop. Yeah. When well, James Brown was in it. Jeopardy theme is credited on it by, yeah. Merv, by Merv Griffin. Getting paid by that. Yeah, Merv Griffin. Um, oh, what I really liked about this music is the barbershop quartet typey oh, guys yeah. at the beginning and the end. They were really So good. I would say like music was a pretty important part of this movie. The only backstory we know of Woody Harrelson is that his dad was a preacher. That's it. I love this shit. Uh, we don't know how they met. We don't know either of the backstories or why neither of them has a job. Yeah. Or why, what happened? Like the whole thing that I want to know what happens is how does she get on Jeopardy? How does one random security guard make a call and get her on Jeopardy? Yeah. As someone that's been on Jeopardy, I could see that sticking with you a lot more like, than all it did Like all I can me. think is she, she auditioned or she applied and she's waiting. She's on the pool waiting yeah. and then he makes a call that's that's the only thing I can think. Let's go with that then. I like it. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. I mean, why else would you'd be a psycho if you're just studying for no reason? Yeah, I I assume that she had to have done something to enact. Although Woody Harrelson does say like you just sit around here waiting on Jeopardy to call, and she's like you just gotta yeah. kind of think positive. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm gonna assume that know. she did something. Uh, the 
1992, the uh, categories cost half as much as they do now. Huh. It was 100 to 500 and then 200 to 1,000 and double. So, Inflation. Yeah. We do have a sassy side friend in Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Well, he is most certainly the sassy he side is. friend. And he does give advice. We yeah. have moments of truth in this <laughs> and quite a says, bit. He says, I was listening to you. And he's like, you shouldn't listen to me. You should listen to her. <laughs> Which is true. Yeah, I think this actually he does have... no discernment. Well, I mean, in the, the re- well, that goes to the reason they can't be together. It's not that he has a gambling addiction. He just has a hot head. He has, right? He makes poor choices, especially with money. Yeah. Well, I just, I'd say... I don't even think money is the issue. I think it's just... He has a hot head yeah. and money always gets involved. But even if money was removed, he would still be screwing up left yeah. and right because people would be challenging you him. You can't imagine him in the corporate world. No, exactly. And so in that's the reason office. they can't be together is he won't, he lets his pride overtake what Rosie Perez is telling him yeah. and what he needs to hear. Yeah. And that's the truth and of the movie. It kind of like blurs over, I guess he has enough money to pay those brothers back, but then they take him. And fake, fake like his dying. death yeah. to take a Polaroid so that they can then show their faces back at this restaurant. Yeah, I could have done without that subplot like, entirely. What's going on here? I don't think. I think. I think you take that subplot out and just make it that they need money to survive. Better no, movie. No, there's a desperation you th- you think? that's necessary for that. I just don't think they needed him to play dead and like that part necessarily. But I think. They're all kind of desperate and like this game is fun, but it's also more than just a game in a lot of ways. Mm. I don't know. We have no precocious child, which is disappointing. I was hoping one of Wesley Snipes kids would be be funny, but they weren't. He just has one and he's nonverbal because he's like a year old. Well, I mean, I was hoping when I, when I realized (laughs) he had a wife and a family that there would be like a another kid another somewhere kid. yeah like, talks smack yeah uh there are tons of montages lots of montages yeah, lots of basketball we got a sexy sex montage men. basketball yeah. montage mostly basketball montages there's city is really important yes here. it doesn't work in any other city no, i mean this is los angeles yes absolutely this is an la story yes the desolate wasteland that they make most of la <laughs> look like which it is <laughs> i mean venice beach at least looks nice it's I mean, it's beautiful the in a way. The beach, it yeah. better be. Yeah. It's the yeah. ocean. We have, a, we have mm-hmm. some truth in it. Learning it, moments. It is about, the. It, it to me at the end of the day, the movie is about the relationship. I think yeah. that's what the main movie is really about. But whenever you say white men can't jump, you don't think, oh yeah, their relationship. You either think basketball or you think Jeopardy. double D's, double D's, Rosie Perez <laughs> is like... Those are the only two things. But yeah, but, but when you watch it, when you watch that's it what's there. and take it apart, yeah. yes, that's... But you're right. The other ones have a lot more flash to them, though. That's probably why people remember them more. Well, because it is about basketball. It's a basketball. But it's a love story told I mean, basketball. is Bull Durham a love story? Or Absolutely is it a it baseball is. story? It's a, it's a love story told through <laughs> baseball. <laughs> I would say that that movie is much more of a romance than this movie is. I think that that storyline revolves way more around their relationship than this does. Oh, okay, well then, but then you're arguing one movie against another. Okay, Alien well, Comes Down. Well, but they're down. both from the same writer. Yeah, yeah, but all right, so then Alien Comes Down, Beep Boop, 
show me a romantic comedy. What do you are you what number are you putting on this? That as a romantic comedy, but I get what you're saying. Stack it against his other work. But before you do that, can or will you at least say if you think it is a romantic comedy or not? I'll tell you where I'm at. I'm I'm at seven and a half, two and eight. I really am. No, I am. Rosie Perez. I am. I, I am. Rosie Perez is is a big part of this movie. Again, yeah. the entire story that they're telling and the point they're getting across, the lesson to walk away from the movie is to the really lesson listen. Is, but the story they're telling isn't the story of their romance. The story they're telling... The story of their relationship? Is, well... And it no, has a lot of... I don't think that that's okay. the central story. I think the central story they're telling is about... I think it's more about him. It's a... It's him playing basketball. It's him relating to her. It's him figuring shit out and no she's not defined by him and she does have this other story but it is a secondary story her story of jeopardy is not the main story because it's not called jeopardy and basketball (laughs) or basketball and jeopardy it's called white man can't jump and and at the end of the day it's a story about a white guy playing basketball with a bunch of black guys that's (sighs) Yes, there's a relationship. Yes, he learns from it. Hopefully becomes a better person. But I don't know if he does. He does at the end. And him is what when he realizes she's gone and him and Wesley Snipes are walking away. He's over the whole thing very quickly. Though I would argue that's because he had closure. He knew what happened. He had made his men's. Okay, I did screw up going forward. I can do, you know, like he knew they identified right at the end. Here's what you did wrong. That's what you need to work on. Yeah. And. But it ends with him. But they don't. We, people don't need to end up together no. for it to be a romantic comedy, like we've said. So they just don't because need to she's end up not together. there and it's just him doesn't mean leading up to that it couldn't be considered a romantic comedy. Mm, I don't think so. I think you take her out of this movie, you take that love plot out of the movie, you lose a, a massive amount of the movie. But I think you, you don't. You, you but you don't lose the central storyline or the central action. Well, then it's just guys playing basketball to, to what end, you know, there's no, yeah. the driver is but Rosie it's not, I don't think the driver's necessarily their relationship. I think the driver is their debt. Like they are playing, he is playing this to get out of debt. But see, I don't see it that way. He is playing to make money f- to get them out of debt, but it's it's his relationship that he comes back to her. If it wasn't about the relationship, they would have gone their separate ways long ago. I, I, I think it's his commitment to her. I think the debt is what's okay. keeping them together. Okay, you may. I, Why don't either of them have jobs? It wouldn't it be easy just to get like a regular? Well, he's a screw up, like we identified. <laughs> yeah. Why does he's it change? I don't know. I don't well, know so what then her what background are you, is. What are you putting on? And this that's movie? the other thing. You don't know either of their backgrounds. What their motivations are, what the st- you know, way, way more about him than you know about her. Mm-hmm. It's not an equal, it's not about them, mm-hmm. it's about him. It's a story about him, and she is part of it. And she, credit to the writer, does get her own story, but isn't central to the plot and it does deepen his story and make him a fully fleshed character but at the end of the day she isn't any more well known 
than she was at the beginning of the movie. She's still like a kind of a mystical, hot-headed, Jeopardy-obsessed, you know, Latina woman. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything else about her. And I know a whole lot more about him. So then what are you, so then what are you putting in the, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I'm putting I'll it back in off more, to a seven. I'll back off to a seven off of what you've said. I'll back I'm to putting a seven. it That's lower than Shallow Hal because oh, at least wow. Shallow Hal, okay. it is a story in which their relationship, you get to know her mm-hmm. and her issues and her backstory. And you even meet like her parents and everything and her ex-boyfriend and all this stuff even though it's centrally more of a story about him growing and changing. But I'm going to, I'd probably give it a six. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause you can't even call this a Bill Dung's Roman. Cause he doesn't learn. He doesn't anything. learn. Yeah. No, it's just a story. It's a slice of life story about a guy who, <laughs> is forced to and is not forced to make some interesting choices. And it's a great story. But I don't think that it's about a relationship. I think it's about him in and out of a relationship that helps define him and helps solidify who he is. I don't know if it helps define or solidify who she is. She is... An ancillary Jeopardy lover. <laughs> Just like me. I guess. <laughs> I mean, we're not far away, six and seven, but you know what? I'm glad we did it. I like this me movie. Too. It was much more, there was a lot more here in regards to, to a romantic about. comedy yeah. Yeah, than I thought. When yeah. when it got recommended to us to do, I was like, man, I bet I could talk Sarah into this, but it, it's not going to be a romantic comedy <laughs> at all. And it, it, there was but enough it was to talk more about. more than we would have thought. Exactly. Which is fun. Yes. Which we like. Yes. So, Sarah, if people want to see anything on Instagram regarding maybe even a picture of you on Jeopardy or with Alex Trebek, right? Can you put that up or not? I gave up Instagram for Lent. Well, but at some point you'll put it up. So I will someday, but not right now. But I am on Facebook with my Jeopardy picture. And we are also on Facebook on romcomcom.com on Facebook. Um, com com d o t com on Instagram and our rom com com d o t com at gmail dot com is one still working. The other one is I just got a cancellation notification. <laughs> so for, goodbye to the other one. So it actually doesn't expire until may but i still don't know how to get it yeah just use the gmail so gmail please cool and then if you like our intro and outro theme it is by this is my suitcase off the album the keys to cat heaven it's called love check it out uh they've got a lot of cool stuff i think joe's been putting out some stuff now that we're all sequestered at home we are stuck at home yeah so check that out and um yeah if you get bored this is a good one to watch. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun one at the end of the day. How do you feel about sitting in the new dining room? Oh, yeah, we're recording. We've we've transferred to a new dining room in Sarah's new home. I like it. It's blue. There's definitely a different energy, but I like it's it. I think it's more formal. Lo- I, I, I think there's a more professional energy to oh. it. I'm excited to explore the space what going forward. if it forward. sounds different? We're going to find out. Okay. I had fun, Sarah. Me too. Yeah.
Congratulations for doing Jeopardy. Thank you. I'm excited. Bye. Something inside me says, no, no, yeah, yeah, not yet.